Hey guys, and welcome back to the Skullcast for episode 107. I am your host, as always, Walter, and joining me today are Azil. Hey, everyone. Griffith. Yo. And Grail. Hello. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Um, I'm not going to do too much news. Are, is there news? There's there's personal news. I don't know how much it matters to anybody, but it kind of slipped my mind that 2020 is actually a big anniversary year for this site. So I'm actually putting together a post right now, and I've reached out to some people, including Griffith, about doing like a in October. I want to do like a like a what's a reunion kind of podcast with some of the older members from Black Sun over Midland, oh, which wow. is the that sounds awesome. The previous community and some of the real old timers have not gotten back to me yet, and for all I know, they'll never get back to me. Uh, <laughs> so it could be a slim crew, but I do have some names, and so. Uh, look forward to that in October or so, uh, and I also have a little like historical post going up about U.S. Berserk communities, you know, circa 1998 and before and stuff like that. So that's coming. We can up. be I'm like you know that. the original four angels on there, and then you'll be like, wait, wasn't there five? And then we'll have the mystery guest. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Shit. Other than that, not a lot going on. The the new episode, uh, episode one, 361, landed. Uh, you know, a, a month late, but who cares? It's here now. I'm, I honestly forgot it was even delayed. I didn't really give a shit. Um, um, <laughs> there's no date for the next episode. We'll get there. I don't know when it's going to come. Maybe it'll come a month from now. Yeah, um, it's going to be August. Wow. Could, could happen. It's funny you mentioned the delay because by the, this is just how much, this is more a time issue than a berserk issue, even at this point or schedule releases. But like by the time it came out, I forgot it was even delayed too. And I actually mm-hmm. was under the impression it came out early. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. it's back sooner than expected. And I was like, oh, wait, it was. De- I just learned now it was still delayed a month. Basically, I was Berserk reminded. fans were, were outside the flow of time. Yeah, we pretty don't. much. <laughs> like, we, <laughs> time flows differently for us. Because of the, I'm assuming it's called the coronavirus, yeah, they changed true. their publishing schedule to be a few days earlier than normal. Normally, it's Friday. Officially, it was released Wednesday. But it went up digitally for those of us in the U.S. on Tuesday. So that was really nice um, yeah. because I had self-imposed exile on the, the actual discussion thread until the digital edition came out. And like, it was it, honestly, guys, it was pretty nice. It was tough. Uh, a lot of Tuesday and late Monday where you guys had like tiny pixelated thumbnail images of what the pages looked like. <laughs> um, I wanted to peek. I did not peek. I, I maintained... Uh, what's the word? Chastity Integrity. on that episode. <laughs> um, but it was nice. It was nice. That's a small little personal note on that. Let's go ahead and get into it. Episode 361. Guts and Skull Knight are finally reunited on the cliffs on the outskirts of Skellig. But before they say too much together, uh, Gedflin appears and asks if they would visit Hanar, who's a dwarven blacksmith. He's the person who made the armors of both Skull Knight and Guts. Shirke is just starting out on her first broom riding lesson when Mulda intervenes and takes her on a whirlwind tour of the island. And they were following guts in the distance, and the two fly down into a deep gorge where creatures who prefer the dim light live as opposed to the lighter side of the island up up top. On the way there, they encounter Mulda's teacher, Volvaba, who is a master of curses and a necromancer. Meanwhile, in a cave where dwarves live, Ged introduces the group to Hanar, who greets Skull Knight as an old friend. Ged asks Hanar to tell them more about Gut's armor, and in sizing Gut's up, he suddenly strikes him with his hammer, and the armor begins to activate. So that's a quick summary of the episode. This thing moved really quickly. 
I'll, my impression is just really upfront. Yes, a lot of us expected to get an, a big, sizable guts and skull night, you know, info dump. We didn't get that. We got a little diverted by Ged's sudden appearance, but we got so much more background on stuff about the island. The fact that it's distributed into these kind of like hemisphere type things, definitely didn't expect that necessarily. So that was really interesting. Um, but more than anything, I'll tell you what I was most surprised by in this episode was that we're getting more and more name drops about people from the past. And I have to imagine that those name drops aren't just happening to diversify the population of the island, but it's also to provide subtext for what could be a flashback in the near future. So that when that thing happens, we'll already know Hanar's relationship we'll to Skull Knight. We'll see old face become a round yeah. little boys, you know? <laughs> Skull Knight yeah. name dropped the name of Ged's father, who was around back then. So we already are vaguely introduced to who that is. So that when that person appears on the page... We won't need a lot of backstory. We're already there. So I feel like a lot of this episode, in addition to all the other relevant things that happen in it, are setting up what could be a flashback, you know, a thousand years ago or so. So that's what was my big, whoa, takeaway of this episode. Well, what I liked about it was instead of like a Skull Knight sort of data dump or like foreshadowing or anything like that, is that it was, it was more show, don't tell. Like we got to see all this stuff and we got to see Skull Knight actually interacting with a community where they're not just like, oh my God, are you death? You know, am I dying? You know, or something like that, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, this is Skull Knight integrated as like a normal character, sort of, you know, walking and talking. You know, it's, it was interesting. It was cool. And, you know, he's got friends and all that stuff. So that, to me, that was just way cooler than anything he could have, like, where he comes in and, you know, he's going to tell Guts about, uh, causality coming at you you know it's like we, <laughs> we know so this was really cool and and like you said it also sets up even cooler uh, stuff to come with him yeah right. i didn't think about skull knight's social life a little bit of which was revealed here that yeah independent of guts perspective on skull knight the only thing we have that even comes close to that is his or his interactions with zod you know, what is Skull Knight's life both apart from Gus's interaction with him? We got a little bit of that in here. That is yeah, cool. Yeah, we've had yeah. little pieces like, yeah, Flora, Zod, and then like just... Sorry, Flora, of course. Yeah, and how yeah. he interacts with like, you know, what is it? Is Luca like the only sort of stranger we've sort of seen him like... Get in touch we cut with? as well. And Rickard, yeah. And Rickard, yeah. But that wasn't even like... <laughs> that was, you know, pretty... A sentence. Yeah, you know, they didn't really have time to talk and Rickard was kind of yeah. just crap in his pants and that whole thing. <laughs> well, and it's, it's just not the same, you know, when he's talking with Gatling, who's like a super strong mega wizard. And yeah. uh, and that's the guy's like, hey, remember me when I was a kid? They, they so, talk like they're social peers. Mm-hmm. Well, well she, he introduces they, himself. Yeah, he says, your majesty to yeah, him. They, they do. What's interesting about this, so I agree with everything you said, Griff. What's interesting is that they all still... Uh, defer to him like everybody speaks to him you know with a sort of reverence you know as you would uh, a, a, you know super king which is what he was so he, he, interestingly the only one who's a bit familiar with him is a uh, hunter and he still calls him like you know by his title uh, as a king so uh, yeah it's interesting it's both 
you know, fascinating to see people who knew him when he was human, uh, but also the fact that they still defer to him. Yeah, I, I think that shows, uh, that tells us a lot. Like Walter said, you know, I'm pretty sure we're going to get a flashback eventually, but even in this episode, we get a lot of little information that I think adds up, and including regarding what the Sconite was as a human, someone they respected. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we can continue on. I have I have a series of big topics I wanted to go through to help keep make sure we don't lose track of anything. So up front, we have this uh, Guts and Skull Knight meeting after so long. I just wanted to draw attention to that moment because it has been a while in the making. The last time they spoke to each other was on the beach outside Vertanis. So that's kind of how – that's the framing of when they're talking. Guts is kind of boasting to Skull Knight about having survived despite Skull Knight's warnings that you know there would be d- dangers ahead in Vertanis and beyond. And it's yeah. kind of nice to see Guts kind of flex and look, look all cocky and boastful for once. He's smiling on the page, which is nice. You don't get that a whole lot these days. He, it's like a he, real genuine smile. I, I do think he does it in a kind of humorous way in that, you know, he knows it's not entirely true that they, mm-hmm. they did, you know, scrape by. And the Skullite replies that it, it was basically luck. And Gus is like, yeah, you're right. So, uh, you know, it also shows, I think, uh, the kind of relationship they have where these two tough guys, you know, are, are talking like that. And Gus is playing it tough, but at the same time, he does not. I mean, the Skull Knight knows what it was really like, you know. And um, like you said earlier, what I find interesting is that we the scene subverts the usual expectation of what goes on between these two, where the Skull Knight tells him, well, be careful uh, causality has yet to converge and Gus is like what do you mean something big's coming and, and instead of the usual stuff like we got you know uh, in the conviction arc and you know before the eclipse and everything they're interrupted by Gelflin who is like hey guys you're on my island now so what's going on here <laughs> here comes the here comes the popo yeah <laughs> Have your IDs ready. So that was pretty cool. And, you know, I mean, when you look at what people's expectations were, you know, it's like, oh, now we're going to get everything. It's going to say, so once upon a time I was a king. And, then, <laughs> and you know, I mean, as much as, yeah, everybody wants to know, but that's not a cool way to do it. And to actually do it like it was done in this episode where – they go someplace, they actually casually drop names. Hey, remember your father, Vid? Yeah. And, you know, they see the guys like, hey, old friends, because of you, I'm still alive. I mean, we get a lot of info from that. And, mm-hmm. you know, when it's spread over, like, I don't know, the next five, ten episodes, we're going to get a lot of stuff in a very, how to say, natural way. And I think that makes it uh, very, very exciting. That line from Hanar, I'm jumping ahead, but I don't care, but, like, I feel, I'm trying to think of the lineage of the idea that long, it was a long time ago that we were talking about Skull Knight as a soul encased in armor. And Hanar just drops a real casual line like, you're still rattling. I'm in good health is what the Skull Knight says. And Hanar just says, you're just rattling in your coffin. I like to think That's, it's Guts-like, the level of denial. <laughs> because, you know, Guts yeah. always does <laughs> the like, oh, hey, it turned out fine. You know, and it's like he knows that's not true, but he's also always, like you say, he's playing tough. And I feel like that's like Skull Knight's moment, like, oh, yeah, I'm in great health, you know, and it's like... Yeah, you're right. It's sure. almost like a reflection of the same line. It's the same exactly. attitude. Like, yeah, they and, have that yeah. same sort of, you know, that's how you get by. Like, he's <laughs> literally a, a spirit in this fine. armor. He's like, I'm great. I'm doing great. 
Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it's not unlike what God says immediately afterwards with the Breath of Samar, where it's like, oh, you know, thank you for that. It really helps me dive under the line so many times. And the guy's like, yeah, you know, actually, that armor tries to devour your soul. So maybe, <laughs> yeah, don't, a, maybe don't thank me for it. It's a losing battle, <laughs> buddy. But the line from Hanar, it just, it, it's not a confirmation yet, but it certainly aligns with our expectations about the nature of what Skull Knight is. You know, that he is a soul encased in an armor, a specialized armor made by a very special, you know, armorer, which is Hanar. Yeah. So, uh, I just wanted, wanted to interject a thing, which sure. is that, uh, sorry about that, which is uh, the way he, you know, tells him basically you, you're not dead yet. It's a it's a very interesting way it's phrased in Japanese. It's like basically it's, it's a reframe to to Buddhism, and it's it's not just dying as in dying in battle or anything like that. It's like you know becoming becoming a, a spirit or an angel or something like that. It's, it's a bit hard to describe, but it's like becoming a Buddha basically. You know, so. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I think that's an interesting way to to put it. Uh, it's not just not, it's not just you're not dead yet. Yeah. It's like you are still with us. You haven't moved on to the next great phase of existence. And you know, thinking back to the concept of uh, diamonds, which was introduced not long ago, just last episode, I was like, hmm, you know, interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to ask about that actually. With that you know, before you brought it up here was just the way that he said it could be interpreted as like, oh, you haven't moved on yet, you know, as well, you know, in a way, rather than just literal, you're not dead, like, you know, as in dying in battle or something. Yeah, it's really, it's specifically like uh, when the spirit departs, but uh, not, you know, more like a peaceful manner, not as in, you know, dying, fighting or anything like that. Yeah. So it's really, what it means is basically is your armor has not leaked and your, you know, spirit has not, you know, gone out the, <laughs> the back door or anything like that. So, it, and that's why he comments, well, you know, no surprise, sex to my extent, you know, walks manship. And this guy is like, yeah, for sure. So, uh, and you know. It's also, go ahead, Azil. No, I was just going to say, it reminds me like the relationship between the two of them. Kind of reminds me of Goro and Guts, obviously. And also, you know, imagine the, like the big emperor whose, you know, kingdom spans the whole thing at a time would be like, okay, bring me the best fucking blacksmith there is. And, you know, who would it be except, you know, Hunter? I feel like it's almost, <laughs> this is a funny uh, little connection, but it's, it's like these blacksmiths or these guys, barbers or something. And they go to them and they have their real talk. You know, Godo provided it for Guts and Hanar is the one who can sort of talk shit to Skull Knight and mm-hmm. tell him how it really is. You know, maybe the, uh, the Berserk Tomo was uh, like the Dragon Slayer. Uh, Geyserik said, you know, make me uh, an armor with which I could go <laughs> beyond the limits of man. It was like, ah, sure. All right, I'm going to do it. Yeah, this will do the job. Yeah, but there's a slight catch. Don't worry. There's really a the fine little, print. yeah, there's a little <laughs> fine print at the bottom. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was it. Yeah, I don't know, guys. I, I feel really um, immediately just taken with Hanar. It's, it's, the, it's his gruff personality. It's the fact that Get asks him to espouse the, the doctrine of the Berserk armor, and Hanar's like, who the fuck do you think I am? Like, it's his attitude. Yeah. It's like, I don't have time for this. Like, he, I really appreciate him already. And he's only said, like, he's been on the page for three well, pages. Well, I mean, that, it's so. perfect. Like, you the, you see the first shot of him. He looks back with that, you know, what are, what are you doing here, basically? And immediately, mm-hmm. yeah. gut sees Goto in his mind, you know, and it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, it's not, not subtle. 
Yeah, and I think the cap is what does it. I mean, in addition to him being a blacksmith, period, he's got the same little cap on uh, uh, for his head. So, although yeah, how tall a- is hand? Is like would Godo be like a giant compared to him? <laughs> I'm trying to size him up based uh, on that one uh, shot of hard him to tell. sitting he's in front seven, of the flame. They look he looks, small. Yeah, he looks very compact. Yeah, they're they're pretty uh, compact, dense. I think Godo would be taller. He like the scarf is uh, to prevent sweat from going into the eyes. You yeah. know, the kind of typical blacksmith thing. But I think yeah, otherwise he's uh, smaller, maybe more burly and uh, hairy for sure. I do like his weird pointy shoes too. It implies <laughs> sort of his attitude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it kind of goes without saying, right? That it was funny. I guess a month or maybe a couple of weeks ago, someone had asked, "Do dwarves exist in Berserk?" And like I, me and actually Azil helped out as well. I spent some time, guys, tracking down all the you just different had to times. Wait one more episode. <laughs> If I had waited just like six days, I would not have had to just – I would have just posted a fucking picture and that would have been it. But yeah, this is the first actual confirmed appearance of dwarves, even though, yes, we did see them in the big reveal of Elfhelm a couple episodes ago. Yeah, As Anne's cousins. Yeah, to, to be fair, I think even when you were doing the post, uh, we were like, yeah, you're probably going to get the answer in one or two episodes anyway. So mm-hmm. we, we knew it. We knew it was coming. I mean, I figured, but anyway. Anyway, yes, dwarves exist in Berserk, and they look like this dude. <laughs> what was I going to say otherwise? Um, I wanted to go back to that big enigmatic line from Skull Knight. Uh, causality um, has not yet converged, or is converging. There are so many ways that can be interpreted, but, I mean, my first reading of that was that Basically, there's a counterstroke, you know, yet to happen about what's going to happen with the way the uh, the spiral of causality works, and that Skull Knight is maybe not aware of the specifics, but knows that there's some shit coming down the line. Uh, I, I say all that to say I don't know that he has inside knowledge about specifically that you know the boy slash Griffith is is heading to the island. I don't think it's that specific. I just think he detects that there is. Something else yet to happen, um, but it could be an even more broad thing. Yeah, than he that. just Azil. knows shit's coming. I mean, as usual. Yeah, and Azil, you had a much more broad or general or bigger idea about what that could mean uh, about the God Hand in particular. Did you not? Uh did I? Refresh well, my memory. <laughs> the idea was, you know, you and I were discussing this. And I've, I've mentioned this in the past as well about in relation to. Whenever the worlds merge, the, the text used was that uh, the fruit of causality has been born, basically, that you yeah. know, all of this planning for centuries was manifested in the worlds merging. And there was a thought in my head, like, is this it? Was that the purpose of causality? One big bang? And then now that anything that happens afterwards is somewhat looser, right? Yeah. And perhaps what Skull Knight is alluding to is that we're only in a small little window of time where things are loose and yet to be slammed back down <clears throat> by whatever the god hand are planning oh yeah for sure yeah that's uh of course like, yeah like like you said there's uh, several ways to you know how to say interpret that the obvious one would be and you didn't say the words but but uh, a junction of times yeah uh, right, right, right right what we saw uh, on top of Galishka, what we saw during the eclipse so that's that would be like a big point uh, a turning point a pivot you know where something can be derailed but where otherwise uh, the plans of uh, you know we're gonna guess the idea of evil come to fruition so that would be a big thing beyond that there could also be just I guess a point where uh, causality is focused converged to produce a result as uh, a result of several threads who have been soon, stuff like that. So that would be something significant, but maybe not 
like world changing. And, and then maybe he's referring to uh, an even wider scope of things uh, where in this case, I mean, obviously, uh, Griffiths is uh, implementing his plans. He's trying to uh, build a second, a second empire, and he's trying, and he will succeed in building a second empire. We don't know what the others are up to, uh, the other members of the God Hand, but they are obviously also doing things. So clearly, you know, uh, we got a situation where they brought the wars together, they fused them, and all thinking at the time was that, well, maybe now causality might be a loser, you know, beforehand Griffiths, for example, could not be harmed. Uh, last time he saw Rickert, he was slapped in the face. Uh, is that a result of this or is that just something else? We don't know. Maybe we have this time now where things are a bit floating, but the gold hands are clearly still working on their final plan. We don't know yet what the eventual goal is. We have some ideas. And maybe that's what he's referring to, the fact that right now on the island, it's, uh, yeah, it's nice and, you know, everyone's happy and everything, but maybe, you know, a big bad thing is coming for the whole world and it's coming, you know, soon enough. I mean, it could be as simple as time marches on, Griffith continues to march forward, or literally the god hands are converging for their end game. You know, it could be sort of anything in that, uh, that spectrum. Yeah, well, he, he does specifically refer to causality, but yeah, the, the implication in a case is, you know, something's coming, something, you know, she, she's going to hit the fan yeah. soon enough. But uh, because of the way, and it's something funny because God himself comments on it. It's like, you know, he only talks in riddles and stuff that's mysterious. And perhaps that's also because his own knowledge is incomplete. Uh, but in any case, yeah, we don't know yet what it is, but something's coming. And, and I think, I mean, obviously, we all knew from the beginning that there would be something that disrupts the peace on this island. So it could be that. Yeah. It could be the boy coming and what we result from that. Maybe, maybe that's well, not what he means. Like they already have some idea too, based on what uh, Mulder's. Yeah, uh, let's go. Let's go ahead and do that one. Because yeah, I agree. That's the other connecting piece here in terms of like what's happening in the future. Uh, and I don't want to spend too much time, as I already I'm the one that opened this topic. I know that, but because we don't know, we don't have a fucking clue. Two quick thoughts are one: there's something missing about Casca's current trauma, right? <coughs> there's there's a missing piece here, and that is the boy is is a part of it. Yeah. The other part is actually confronting Griffith with these built-in trauma, you know, trauma that she has. Mm-hmm. To me, that, that's an inevitability. That's eventually going to be addressed. So slotting that in now along with the boy in some facet, to me, seems like the missing component to seeing the full picture about this post-recovery Casca. So that being on the way seems like one big thing. Would that really matter? Would that blip on the radar for Skull Knight to that specificity? I don't think so. But that's just where my head went initially. Um, There's also the case of... Does the Skull Knight know about the boy in Griffiths? And does he know like does he know the extent to which it matters? Uh you know, he when when the, the demon child was born, he recommended to God that he disposes of him, otherwise he would haunt him. So that was more like hey, you should get rid of that pet because you know, having a pet is a bothering thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you think back to actually what happens. Uh, the fact the boy is no part of Griffiths, the fact the boy cares enough about his parents that he will stop 
or he will force Griffiths to protect Casca when the stones fall, when he sees Gus fighting uh, against Zard, he feels something. You know, these things are, are significant and, you know, as we've speculated before, probably going to be like the key element to the end game, the final battle. So that's actually like letting the boy live and letting the situation come to this is super significant. And I would guess that the Skull Knight did not see it coming. Yeah, so let's, let's take a quick roll call. Like, Azil, does Skull Knight know about the boy? Mm, I would say no. Uh, it's hard to say. Maybe he learned about it. But let's say no. I mean, I don't th- uh, my feeling is he may not, but he should. Just because he's literally, like, seen it. He was there when, you know... He was, he was so mm-hmm. peripheral to everything that happened with the boy. Literally, like, he was hunting down the, uh, you know, the egg uh, quasi-apostle yeah. that ended up swallowing him and, you know, creating this whole thing. And you'd think, I mean, potentially, he doesn't necessarily, you know, he doesn't know everything, but he could know that Griffith needed a vessel. You know, he mm. could have put all this together. He could, we don't know how well he can sort of sense evil spirits and to what degree and yeah. if he could recognize the boy. So... So my feeling is like he may not, but uh, there's a there's a strong possibility he could. Mm. Grail. Uh, well, I guess what I would say is similar to what Griffith said, just that he he was there for a lot of these events and kind of witnessed a lot of what happened. So I guess my feeling is that even if he doesn't factually know what happened, I think he could put it together. Well, okay. wait a minute. So, wait, how close was he to the boy on the beach when that all happened? He, nah, he, he was, was he, just before. He was, he was yeah. a previous guest on the beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then it's like they see Casca and the boy, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. oh my god. And then so, Zod on the grassy knoll. And yeah. if, he, <laughs> if he knew that was Griffith, too, if, like, that's the thing. It's like, at the one hand, it's like, he needs to be in the dark about some of this stuff, because otherwise it would affect his actions, potentially, unless, because he doesn't strike me as having so much, you know, politeness for guts, that not only does he not mention it, but it's like, oh, well, I also, I'm not going to try to kill the god hand, because, you know, I'd I'd hurt his boy, and I don't want to do that. Mm. You know, it's a good boy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he doesn't strike me as that <laughs> sentimental type. I, I, I s- I think it could be, like, there's several ways it could be explained. Right. Uh, for example, causality would not have allowed the boy to be killed at the time because just that's right. the way it is. Uh, I also think, like, the, the reason I said no earlier is, or mostly no, is because I think it makes sense for him to see the boy and immediately understand, right. you know? Mm, like, it's a kind of cool. thing, or it, it will just snap and it will say... You know, they'll be like, the boy, get with me. Something's, something's odd about this. He's well, probably know, yeah. whatever. He has ethereal Terminator vision and can just uh, immediately <laughs> recognize the boy. But yeah. Well, <laughs> and, he snuck past Shirke. And he might not I mean, mention it out of deference to Guts because he knows that, you know, it's going to put him in a bad mindset. <laughs> I never gave my answer. I don't think he knows, even though it makes no sense for Skull Knight not to know because he knows fucking everything. He doesn't, because, like, especially where, like, Femto and Griffith is concerned... That's like the one person that can kind of, you know, put, pull the wool over his eyes. And we, you know, we've seen it happen before where he might yeah. not have, you know, where his, wherever the limits of his vision are, you know, so to speak. And, and this was, is considering all the context around the boy and even what happened with the Egg Apostle, it was all very secret hush-hush, like nobody knows kind of thing. Griffith didn't even know about yeah. the actual yeah. impact of that on him. So it, this seems to me like a, like a, like a what's the word, astral, a big astral secret, like a secret, yeah. secret very few people know about. So 
for Skullnet to somehow intuit it beforehand seems unlikely, even though he is the guy that seems to know everything behind the scenes. You know? I, so. I, I think the way it's going to go down is going to be a triple triple thing. Is uh, We're going to see Get Flynn be like, or one of the other great gurus be like, something, something's odd, there's something strange. Then, there's, yeah. you know, then Danan will be like, this child, blah, 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 blah. And then the Skull Knight, who actually was up close with Femto, will be... So that is why, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. so it's going to be, I think it's going to be like a triple. Yeah, it'll take a village tri- to kind of figure this. And Shirke too, who like already was like, you know, looking at the weird ode of the, the child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Throwing so I, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a triple thing. And, uh, and of course it will be interesting to see well, like whether the, the kid even talks because we know he can communicate astrally at least he's done it. Uh, with guts, yeah. So yeah, I'm just curious, and of course, there's Casca's reaction. Casca's reaction, and all the boys talks to her. And one one thing to go back to what you were saying, Walter, is I think it might be a bit much to uh, like uh, do both the boy and Griffiths at the same time for her, like to have her confront the existence of her son. And also the fact Griffiths raped her. I mean, that's like, and of course, because it's Mura, he might, he might just do it, you know, he might just mm-hmm. do everything at once in one scene. Now, that would be what I call conversion. You just made me really want something actually with that conversation, which unrelated to this, but just a conversation between like basically Casca and some close confidence other than guts about, you know, what happened to her and how she feels about it. But anyway, there's time for that. Okay. I think, yeah, it might, might happen. I mean, I think it definitely will happen, but it's just, you know, yeah, you made me, yeah, you made I, me I've, long for it now. <laughs> I have been longing for that kind of introspective scene for both Guts and Casca for like fucking volumes. And now it makes so much sense for Casca, of course, because the thing is, Mura, since they landed on the island, he has not pulled his foot off the gas. Like they've literally been moving from yeah. spectacle to spectacle since episode 343. I you think know, like and fucking- Shirky and are kind of the perfect... Uh, candidates for this yeah. you know talk i feel like the story is wanting in that and now we got a little bit of it in the casca uh, dream sequence the um yeah. dream world thing i already forgot yeah. the name we called it but corridor, corridor of dreams. dreams thanks we got a little bit of it but even that was still moving quick 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 not pausing very long on one thing and there was a so, yeah, there was another like, like practical goal at the end of that whereas this would be mm-hmm. just pure you know sort of introspection yeah. I think it's necessary. Yeah, we'll get there. I hope we get there. It makes sense for us to get there. What do you think, Grail? Um, well, I was just thinking about how, like you were saying, it moved very quickly through the dream sequence. We are getting a lot of the imagery, like the penis monsters, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I guess it makes me think that, uh, like like you, Griffith, I, I truly long for that sort of candid conversation with, with Casca, maybe talking to Farnese and Shirke since they were there. Um, but... Yeah, this, it's crazy to think that we're already at that point, and we could have, like you were saying, Walter, a scene where all of that could hit Casket once. It's kind of a scary thought. Um, well, yeah, like I, I imagine all these different powerful forces arrayed around her. Like there's Skull Knight there, there's Ged, there's potentially, you know, the boy or Griffith right there, and Danon. Guts. Yeah. And then it, what really? What the focus of the scene though? What if it was just Casca and the boy just trying to be together, and, and all these different, uh, you know, arguments were happening over the presence of this boy in Elfhelm? Like that would be a really cool moment, I think. Right. And um, yeah, it's unusual because there are so many heavy hitters right now uh, in one place. Exactly. Yeah. One, yeah that's, 
Go ahead, Azil. I was just going to say the counterpart to that is that, um, like you said, the scene would lack uh, intimacy, I think. Uh, you know, yeah, sure. it's, when there's too many, like if there's too, all of these guys who are like <laughs> discussing whether to kill a boy or whatever, or, <laughs> or what he what he means, uh, it's hard to, at the same time, have a scene where uh, Casca is going to be able to have a connection with him and understand things. Uh, just one other thing I wanted to say is that I feel like Uh, with regard to the fact we did not get any uh, kind of emotional or not too, too much emotional stuff with Casca so far is because I think Mira's been saving it up for a big yeah. load, you know, basically. Yeah, well, I, sure. You know what? I mean, a good introduction of the boy potentially could be him basically just approaching Casca alone at first. And that would uh, sort of facilitate that yeah. scene and then a reveal like it always for happens. everyone else, you know, too. Yeah. Or, like, yeah. And it's what he always does. He always yeah. comes to her. So. This reminds me of a question that I, I brought up when I was talking with a friend after this episode came out, was that would Casca, now that she's kind of back to her old personality, would she recognize her child the same way that she automatically recognized him? Sort like of by like in feeling, a, yeah, before. Like by feeling, like, mm -hmm. this is my child. I'm going to take care of this child. Would uh, she intellectually understand that? I feel like she's gonna like struggle with it for a minute and then it's gonna snap into mm. place. You know, I think she's gonna be like, what is feeling? What do I, what? And you know, I have tears in her eyes. And then when she sees a boy and she, and you know, she's gonna snap and she's gonna get it. And right. maybe and then, then she's gonna you know, go she, give him a, a hug and we'll pan yeah. out and it's white hair. <laughs> no, we're like, oh my oh, God. No. <laughs> oh my God. No, Jesus do Christ, not, terrible. do not ruin this moment. She embraces the boy, cut close to her face, pull back on his Griffith suddenly. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, um, that's, that's scary. Oh, and well, I, <laughs> all of us want to talk. I, I don't think that'll happen. That might actually be an interesting conflict just if, if there is no Griffith factor in it at first. And that's something that, like, because that's something that Skull Knight might recognize, too, and bring to light. Just like, you know, that's, yeah. that's no ordinary boy. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I, I just, his hair is too long. He's a freak. I, I do think when she recognizes him, we're gonna, you know, be shown one or two pages of her remembering every occasion oh, yeah. in which he saved a life. Yeah, you know? right. so that's gonna, that's definitely gonna be a thing. So I, I look forward to that. So that was a long digression, but it's relevant because it does somewhat address what that causality is not yet converged open question might be. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's go down the topics, though, just to make sure we're keeping on time. Um, Skull Knight, uh, you know, recognizes Ged as the son of someone named Vid or Vid or Vito. We don't know exactly Vito how that Corleone. kind of will be read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was Void back in the day. We made a few Godfather jokes in the chat. That's right. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, so immediately when I looked at the Katakana guys, I thought that just straight up said void because I misread the Katakana and I got really excited. And that <laughs> Your father faux void, excitement, that would be pretty, yeah. The faux excitement there totally derailed the actual, my actual perception of what was going on in that scene. But that's not what happened. That's not what it says. It says <laughs> it's Vito or Vid. So uh, I don't think it's Void, even though that would be really fucking cool. I just think it's a similar name. Uh, if it was Void, if he was name dropping Void right now, even human form Void, there would be a little more more gravity to that. Yeah, moment, I think. If, you know? if Void was his father, I would definitely. I'd be looking at Ubik just by the resemblance, you know, and like, if I was Void, like, hey, what have you been doing with my wife, buddy? <laughs> yeah. Also, I, I know Skull Knight can't spit, but he probably tried to I spit know, yeah, on him, like, like, right then, too. Your father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So that's yeah, a, that was just like a, a early little really really excited about this potential. Loss. I hope the seed has fallen far from the tree. <laughs> <laughs> that's a uh, yeah. That, that would be a, a funny you know, possibility, but yeah, it's it's, yeah. Uh, it's unlikely. What's <laughs> what I think is interesting is that when you look at uh, how the name is structured, vid. It might be the abbreviation of a longer name, uh, much like, you know, Gatlin. So it's mm-hmm. Gato Furin. Uh, we don't might be Vito Furin or so or whatever else. So it yeah, might be a Vito long... Albion, maybe. <laughs> Why? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but, uh, but the case is, yeah, I mean, it does show, uh, like the name feels similar to Gatlin to me. So I saw that was interesting. And of course, there's a fact. What's interesting about this and what maybe lent a little... Uh, credibility to the ideas that uh, it might have been void is that it's obviously someone the skull knight was familiar with someone he would remember a thousand years after the fact and whose face was familiar enough to him that he would recognize his son you know mm. so um so yeah it's interesting because it's while it's just name dropped in passing uh clearly it means it was someone important so maybe it's clearly yeah exactly yeah. that's the other that's the other side of this is that they wouldn't have bothered to name someone if it wasn't going to later on pay off in some way. Yeah. So it's uh, maybe an ally, maybe someone. So uh, Griffith speculating the threat might have been the former head of the village. So if there was a village, in, you know, a magic village in Skellig at the time, we don't know exactly, but what's sure is uh, it was someone who who mattered. So yeah. it will be interesting to to see how that goes on. Mm-hmm. So... um. Some time has passed since those two have met. And, you know, Ged mentions that, you know, he had, his father and he had received, uh, had met with Skull Knight long ago. Um, and also the way Ged introduces himself, he says, you know, he, he says, oh, your majesty, your king at first. And then he corrects himself saying, oh, but I guess you go by Skull Knight now, which to me implies that Ged's referring to a time before Skull Knight existed, before he donned that armor, you know, when yeah. he was perhaps a human or perhaps he was wearing the Berserker armor. We don't we don't know. One of those two, though, pre-Skull Knight, Geyseric, you know, era for him. So that's pretty significant in the context of things that we know about Skull Knight and people that knew Skull Knight back then. It just suddenly grew up to one more. So that's mm. interesting. Um, there's also this panel that was really interesting to me. Uh, Guts, upon realizing that Ged knows Skull Knight and has known him for a while, he jokes asking Ged, how old are you, old man? And then Ged just kind of passes it off as like, uh, time flows differently. It doesn't really make any difference. But then there's these two little like in sh- inside shots of Skull Knight just kind of thinking for a moment. And we don't get a whole lot of those these days. And so it made me think like it's the reference of time passing differently for people that kind of sets those two panels off. There's one kind of by itself and there's one next to Guts. Did you guys pause on those at all? Because I was thinking about those a yeah, lot. Is it meant- the, the way uh, Gethlin says it, uh, it implies that it applies to himself and also the Skull Knight. And that's why we get that uh, shot of Guts looking at the Skull Knight and that mm-hmm. you know shot of the you know Skull Knight just you know with the backdrop of the, the tree in the distance. So um, yeah, I mean obviously it's a it's a reference to the both of them that you know it doesn't matter. Because they're very old, and obviously for the Skull Knights, that goes as you know even more so than for Gatlin, because Gatlin has been on the island for all that time. What the Skull Knight was out there in the world, as far as we know. So, to to go back to what you were saying about uh, Ged and uh, and the Skull Knight himself, there's also another thing is that Gatlin knew from the beginning that uh, Hanar had made the Berserk armor, so he had some knowledge about that. He also mm-hmm. seems to know that. 
the skull ice armor was made by him as well. And uh, yeah, the way he talks to him and the, the way the discussion goes, it implies that they have not seen each other since uh, Ged was a, a boy and uh, the Skull Knight was still King Geyseric. So that, that implies they have not seen each other in basically a thousand years. Yeah, and that really closes the window on a kind of a go-to theory for how Skull Knight has spent his years and also access to, I have always called it, Skull Knight's Oracle, you know, that he had some kind of external source of information about all the inside knowledge that he has. For years, I would say, if anybody asked me, I would say, eh, maybe he has somebody on Elfhelm that kind of gives him the inside scoop. But clearly, if Ged hasn't seen him in this long and is greeting him like an old friend from long ago, it's not like Skull Knight has you know, been coming to Elfhelm a lot lately. So that closes the window in that, I think. It makes me wonder how how big the, the time passage difference is between the outside world and Skellig when I, when I heard that. It was like mm-hmm. five yeah. minutes. He got his armor repaired the last time after he fought Slan, and then it's like a right, thousand years right. passed on the island. <laughs> and we haven't spoken about it in a while, but it made me think about how inevitably when they get off of Skellig and leave, there's going to be this time skip. And I thought, oh, you know, they're going to go to the land of the Bakiraka and they're going to find, you know, uh, Erica. Rickard's going to be Rickard 40 have grown and up and had their beard. kids. <laughs> yeah. but what if it's like Rickard the fifth or something like <laughs> oh, that? No. Oh, Jesus. Or there's like, uh, it's good, that's when he's going to have the crossover with his science fiction, basically. <laughs> They'll have those space yeah. powers. <laughs> look like uh, Rickard's going to build him some spent, new armor. Yeah. He spent five generations perfecting the slap, which has gotten more and more powerful over the generations. <laughs> he's going to knock Griffin's right. head off this time. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Watch out. He's going to be a uh, yeah, tapas up by the time. <laughs> uh, the boil I, on I his think, hand when he slaps him. <laughs> yeah. I think, I, I don't think, so people have been always like, oh, maybe, you know, they spent one night already. It must have been 10 years. I don't think it's going to be like that. I, I think people maybe are not imaginative enough in that, for example, the time difference could accelerate the more you stay. So if you like stay a day, it's nothing. If you stay a week, it's a bit more. If you stay a month, but if you stay a year, it's like a hundred years have passed. So I think it could be stuff like that. Um, and you know, Flora, for example, she, she lived in the world and she was fucking old. And while she, like, she could survive that long because she, was near the tree, the spirit mm-hmm. tree, and you know that that was a special place. She lived in the astral world, so, but she she still basically you know lived a thousand years. So, we don't know exactly the details of that, but at the end of the day, she lived a long, long time. Of course, right. she was she was dying by that time. So my right. point is, you know, we could assume Ged is like a hundred. But he might also be 300 because he's a wizard. They're in the Yastra world here. And yeah. maybe maybe that's why. So it's very hard at this point, I think, to uh, like derive any conclusions from just you know what we know about the time flow. It's, it's, uh, I think it's very difficult. Sure. It is interesting, though. It, it makes me wonder if, if there was still a, a, you know, if the flow of time outside of Skellig wasn't as bad, what, what kept Skull, Skull Knight from, you know, coming by? 
Well, you know, before he had the sword, which presumably he only got recently, he, or he was able to do recently, he would have had to travel over the ocean to get there. And so, mm. you know, like, that's complicated. Like, right now, you know, ever since Volume 26, when he first used it with Slan, as far as we know, that was the first time he used it against Slan. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, he could not teleport. He, pre- pre- you know, presumably had to uh, ride really fast on his super horse so he could, mm-hmm. you know, make giant jumps and, you know, ride the horse super fast but still he had to do that and i mean it would be pretty cool if he could uh, ride the horse on the top of water like you know i don't know jesus or something but <laughs> yeah I, I, I don't know i don't know and it would still be a, a long journey presumably so i think it's just yeah he, he did not return because he would have had to do it by by ship you know i, I think that might be i know it's a kind of you know pedestrian but that, that might be a simple explanation for it yeah um, I'm trying to think. There's a couple things here. One is the fact that the idea of Skull Knight spending up to 700 or more years on the island kind of like lamifies the Skull Knight that he's just been dozing off all those centuries, not actually <laughs> actively doing much. Yeah, for sure. Maybe coming out once every 216 years to take a swipe, failing, coming back, to, you know, to home base to take a nap for another. That's not probably how it went. <laughs> Um, and actually, I'll just tell you my reading of the final panel of Skull Knight looking by himself like an old man is like, there has been a long time since those days. And for him, the years have been even longer than even forget. So that's that's my little personal reading of that final little panel of Skull Knight about yeah, the time passing. I think it's and you know, Guts looking at his future, too, where it's like, you know. <laughs> you see, well, Guts, the, Guts gets that, yeah. but then there's the solo panel. Okay, yeah, and you were just talking about yeah. the bottom one where – well, I yep. mean, it's hard to tell if that's – I mean, there's a lot to so interpret still there. Be, it's just him being mysterious and a weird skull face, but also, yeah, there's also the – He's he's pretty. He's getting too old. The for topic this. is the, the the topic is the basically like how time has affected them. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because uh, when uh, Gratz first heard the uh, legend of the Skull King uh, back in Volume Ten, he immediately saw of the Skull Knight, and then he was like, "Ah, it couldn't be. It's just you know, a thousand years later, it's not possible." Uh, and right. I, f- I feel like you know he's gonna he's gonna get it soon enough if he remembers that, that little story. All right, but, Your Majesty, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah who could actually, you be? Once again, another character that should know something. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah I'm, I mean, it's it's pretty much for the benefit of the reader. He's but taking a lot on of the hits way, to the head, folks, give him a break. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> why, why is it we're walking down that gorge? You know, he could have uh, pretty much a said, of, oh, lost a lot of blood. <laughs> so you were a king or something? Hold on was this what was the name yeah. you know, like he could have had been asking <laughs> questions but i guess it also fits the character of guts what the kind of guy you know yeah he's not asking questions because he doesn't care I don't as long as you can, can. <laughs> as long as i can kill it i don't care but uh yeah there's also gonna, the fact when you think back to flora's lines even with the name uh i think i explained this in a podcast long ago but the word skull that's used for Skull Knight. It's not just a standard word for skull in Japanese. It's some old words that mean a skirt that has been a skull that has been weathered by time. You know, Damn. it's a weathered skull, an old skull. So, you know, when you look at the character and what he signifies, the fact there's some question whether he still has human feelings. So, yeah, sure, he's a spirit and everything. But beyond that, I think the fact he's really ancient and has hanged on for so long just to oppose uh, God hands. That, that's what makes him cool. And if you start saying, yep. well, actually, he just, he cheated his way out of it. He used a magic it's, flute from Super Mario Bros. 3. You know, it's yeah. just, 
Uh, you know, that's just like you said, water is just lemmifies him. So I really don't think that's the case. I don't yeah, think it's that's not a thousand years. It's more like 10 weekends for him. Just <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not quite the same Weekend thing. Yeah. So, yeah, th- there has to be another explanation. And, you know, I- I'm sure Miura will in some way account for those years. Uh, I just don't know what it'll be. Um, we'll get it in the want, Skull Knight a- novelization. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> How big is his dong? Let's oh, find out in the novel. Oh, come on. Oh, I haven't even read it. I don't think I'm ready. <laughs> Never going to forget. Hard as a skull. Um, I need to push things forward, guys. I got limited time. Um, Hanar is the fo- person that forged the Berserk armor and SK's armor. Yeah, we get that now. So now, uh, we've known it for a while, but for the doofuses in the room, uh, that explains why Puck was like, huh? I sensed an elf. Could it be that the Skull Knight has an I, elf inside I don't know. him I think floating around? could still be an elf uh, lying he, around in there. He, he didn't say exactly that. He just said there was like an elf aura about him, which sure. you know, makes sense because, yeah, it was forged by Hanar. And, I mean, it, from the beginning, yeah, when we saw the Berserk armor, it's like, yeah, you know, forged by dwarves, the Skull Knight has also magical armor. Yep. It's, you know, it's... He died. We've been saying so for like a decade. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Before, it's just like, you know, dwarven, elven, you know, he's just sensing sort of the nature of the item, its origins. Yep. Yeah, and also... So it's, it's nice to get that just sealed off. Close the book on this. Let's move right along. <laughs> for sure, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, well, you know he's hollow inside when he drops Behirits in there. Could it be like a, you know, like the cage that Puck was in at the beginning of the... Mm. Yeah, the elves flying around in there? I don't know. Not maybe sure. maybe yeah. people should post about it. I'm just saying. Uh, no. <laughs> so that was actually just the first ask, three pages. That's ask. how far we've gotten. Oh, we're on, great idea. We're on page no. one, two, three. We're on page four so far. Uh, yeah. So let's let's keep moving. Right. Um, what I like about this uh, extended sequence with Sherke and, and Molda is Molda. I didn't notice that she never really not never. She's usually not on the ground. She's usually she likes it being up in the sky. She's kind of a show off as well, and, and we get a lot of that in this episode. But um, yeah, she takes Sherke up on her little broom lesson uh, and kind of shows her the island. And I just really liked these two spending time together. So we're getting more about Molda than we knew before. Before she was just kind of a cocky bitch, and that's pretty much all there was to her. <laughs> and we're learning a lot more about her now, right? And I, she's I really a maverick. Little scenes, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's it's funny, but. The contrast between these two and the fact they get along despite that, I think, is really just adorable and pretty cool. Well, and the, the perfect moment was when Shirke was like, you know, let's check this out. And Mold is like, yeah. <laughs> you know, but they've got different sort of <laughs> emotions they put into that. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And, you know, even just when uh, Molda goes like, uh, you know, right down to the water and put her hand in it. And Shirke's got that face where she's really scared. And, yeah. uh, and you know, they have a little chat about how flying in your body of flight isn't just quite the same as flying as yourself in your real body because you, you can actually die, you know, that kind of stuff. I thought that, that was really cool. And also I just mean, experiencing it. That's the other thing. It was like the, the feeling of the flying is, is different yeah. than in a body of light. I thought that was really cool, too. You, even though, you see her touching the water as she's flying by. Yeah. I really want to cool. say, even though Shiruke has actually possessed birds on a couple occasions before, so technically she should yeah. have some, you know, uh, experiences with that. But let's not let's not be picky. <laughs> <laughs> you, I think you just were, but uh, well, yeah, <laughs> no. But what's interesting about them sort of just to put a bow on their their rapport instantly is that even though Shiruke is kind of a straight arrow and could be kind of a nerd compared to to Molda, is that Shiruke is the real deal? What 
Molda would aspire to be and beyond. I mean, she's like been on the front lines. She is like one of those legendary witches that has, you know, a prowess that's been on the battlefield that's done these incredible things. So I think Molda kind of, even if she doesn't know specifically those things, she kind of recognizes that this is a person that sort of walked the walk, uh, walked the walk that she would like to. Yeah, I, yeah, she got a. She's not completely in the dark either, right. because if you recall, when the gurus were there and they were telling them yeah. the story about how they got to the island, Molda was right there, kind of like going, "Like, wow, that sounds she awesome." She has an incredible <laughs> perch too, and everything. Like, she's on this tree branch where she sees all the people training on the, you know, the broom. Yeah. But she also sees Skull Knight and Guts. It's an amazing view from up there. Yeah, and that's actually a, yeah. that's probably actually why she takes Shuriken on a little ride. You know, it's yeah. not entirely uh, devoid of interest for her so that's I, I found that interesting you know that little roguish side where she's you know she's looking out for her own interests but also she she feels like you know she's kind of a Han Solo character you know a rogue <laughs> with a heart of gold she's she's not bad at heart but she likes to do things her way and she she likes I guess I guess you know to summarize her character so far, she's really suffocating on the Thailand. She wants art. She wants yeah. to yeah. see cool well, that's stuff. The thing. She's also she, she's inexperienced though, unlike a Han Solo character. She has that same attitude, but she doesn't have the seasoning yet to yeah. go along with it. And you know, it reminds oh, me man. of. Go ahead. I'm saying I'm imagining a scene where like they're presented with danger and it's Shirke that helps Molda be grounded and like, you know, successfully. Well Shirke compares her to a syndrome, which is, you know Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, that's funny. Because they're both hot headed. Right. But yeah, I, I do think I, I like your idea, Waldo. I think I, I've uh, said some stuff of that in the past in that I, I do think if push comes to shove, it's gonna be Shirke who's gonna hold her own, you know, and mm-hmm. Molda's gonna be like Maybe a, a bit more humble in front of actual danger. So, but yeah, I, I like the dynamic. It's I think like it kind of subverts, you know, the kind of high school thing where you get the cool kids that push around the nerdy ones, and here you get that strange alliance of these two girls who are very very different. Like they couldn't be more different, uh, and they both see the cool parts in the other. So, I don't know. I think that's, that's yeah. pretty cool. I really like it, and I like that relationship. I, I hope it develops. Me too. I'm glad they lifted the veil on Moldemore. That's, that's my biggest takeaway is that there's, we're learning more about her, and it's, 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 it's better than where she was before, I think. Yeah. More interesting I could also person. see her getting in over her head if danger were to, you know, like she tried to confront Griffith you know, or something. Because well, she I mean, know any even if she tried, let's say an apostle, like a random lame apostle came by and she's like, yeah, take this. And the guy's like, oh, that burns. Okay, now I'm going <laughs> to eat you. And she's like, oh, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's, yeah. send, let's send a weaker oh, man. My. And the thing is like, he smashes it down. And it's like, okay, now you, you're going to need some real, real talents there. Well, you my know, first just your little tricks. Was if, you know, she tried to take on Zod or something where it's like, it just looks like some big burly guy. You know, no problem. Mm, and yeah. Then, yeah. But Shirky would be like, uh, <laughs> you know, be careful. Well, the problem with that is, uh, it's like there. when, when we speculated about Zod, uh, Void appearing on the islands. And the problem is, like, if, if it was Zod, she would just die. <laughs> and, and it's not like she would fly. Like, she can fly also. It's just, it's, it's like, yeah, if, if Void came to Skellig, everybody would just die. And it's like the end of the story. The bad guys win. And I feel like, yeah, if you put Mola against Zod, what's, he's going to just throw a rock and, and just, you know, her like split her head or something. Yeah. Just, you know, like, you send a little thing and uh, she's dead. 
So um, Molda and Shirke go down into this gorge, the namesake of the episode. And it's really interesting because the atmosphere of it is much different than the other parts of the island. And it also has different inhabitants. And, and Molda likens it. Molda explains that, you know, some gravitate to the area up, up, at the, up top where it's nice and bright. And others gravitate down here where it's more dim. And, you know, I, it's hard to not think about the way the astral world is also distributed in that way, because that's the same thing. As, as they, they're, gravi- they're distributed by their different odds. And it's the same way here on the island. And For sure. Then, yeah. Uh, I, it, go ahead. I just want to say I, I do like how she puts it that no matter how bright and beautiful and generous uh, the Queen of Elves is, some beings will always prefer dimness, you know, and, and I just, I don't know, I, I saw that was very poetic almost, the fact that, yeah, there's got to be a place for the loners, you know, the guys who prefer it, you know, uh, outside of the of the sunlight, so I like that. It's right, still a pretty I agree, nice yes, I, I was really part. excited by the intro of the gorge here as well, where it shows, like, the little goblin guys, like, in the yeah. big old centipede. They all look like neighbors, you know? You got, like, the toad I, I, and the ring girl. I love the toad. I, I'm So I, I've not said this, but I'm obsessed with the toad. I absolutely want to make it my avatar on the forum. I love that toad. He's just, he's so fat, and he looks so content. I, he's I just chilling, fat. you know? Yeah, I just love him. He's so chubby. And you know he's got, like, the mind of a man, too. He's not, like, a regular toad. Yeah. Things yeah. going on behind those eyes. Yeah, that toad's seen some shit. So what's interesting is that, yeah, even though they just go into the gorge like it's nothing, Shuke gets a little bit nervous because she recognizes that this territory, this astral territory is uh, nearby the uh, Clifford, you know, and... Um, so obviously, the last time we saw it was in uh, volume 26, you know, 20, 24 to 26, where they had the troll thing and slant came and she, she gets a bit uh, nervous because of that. I thought that was pretty cool because that's, again, something Molda might not have experienced. You know, she knows mm-hmm. that place is a little bit uh, edgier, you know, it's a little bit away from the light, but she hasn't seen the actual place where, you know, the dark spirits will gather, the, uh, you know, incubi, uh, the, you know, specters, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I thought that was a nice little reference. Yeah. Yep. As they go deeper, uh, Mulder gives her some context. Once they see the Wicker Men, she kind of just lays it out there. You know, this island was one, this country was right. Asia, what's the word that's used? Yeah, so that's another interesting thing. She uses country. She says this country was once attacked by uh, a big country from the continent and um, the, they captured soldiers and sacrificed them to create these, uh, these wicker men. And so that word um, can be country, nation, state, uh, mm-hmm. one of these words, but it, it is, uh, you know, specific to that meaning, uh, like a nation, a state. And like, you, you know, for example, Ged earlier, she talks about the village and they'll talk about the island. But uh, as far as I remember, I haven't checked, but as far as I remember, that the first time someone refers to Skellig as a, a country or nation. So I, I thought that was interesting. I mean, it makes sense. There's there's two things that are interesting there. One, Azil, you've already alluded to, but to me, it's natural that the fact that they, are, they govern themselves, they're a sovereign area. There's no other country that they would be allied with so it makes sense that they think of themselves like they that. have leaders but it is a it is a country of a very disparate people right it's all over the place it runs the gamut from human magic users to uh you know a sovereign of the flower storm so 
very different kind of country. But yeah, the, the term country just makes you pause and go, country though? Anyway, I get it. Um, I guess. The other thing is the fact that it's a, a great force from the continent attacked here once, which who else could it be from back then? But the, you know, the one, you know, what's the word empire that we knew of? Uh, of course, it could be lots of things, but that's where I think our minds well, immediately and how go, did he end that, up there? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, how if it's say let's just say it's Guy Zarek's uh empire, which we don't know. It's just the natural conclusion. Um how'd he go from yo, let's bomb that place to yo, got any spare soul armors around? Like how does that work <laughs> well, the, exactly? The other possibility is if there was some sort of early god hand malfeasance interference going on there too, mm-hmm. that he ended up there. I mean, I think that's what we originally assumed, but it could also be that yeah, war spilled over here. We get might- we get vid involved, you know, and uh, who knows how things go where suddenly these enemies become strange bedfellows because of some shocking development. Yeah, maybe I, he rooted out an evil for them, and that was it. I think you know that like there's there's many possibilities. Cool. For example, it could be just uh, Geyseric was you know ever expanding his empire, no limits, and so they sailed and they came across this land and just tried to conquer it because they tried to conquer everything. And then mm-hmm. when they f- you know found resistance and they found it's a different type of land, they were like, okay, well, let's just we we won't conquer you guys, but we'll trade with you instead. Yeah. So that's uh, possibility one. Possibility number two, it was another country, a uh, rival country from uh, maybe, you know, at the end when almost everything was united, there was still like one nation that was a big enemy of Geyseric. Maybe that nation attacked, you know, Skellig. Other possibility, maybe uh, there was a rival faction uh, at some point. Maybe, let's say, somebody close to the seat of power, but who betrayed Geyseric uh, to keep it upon himself to launch an attack on Skellig for some reason. Maybe because they were allies of Geyseric, so that could be, let's say, the one who became void. Maybe mm-hmm. he attacked them to weaken Geyseric. Who knows? Like That's just random speculation, but there's a bunch of stuff. I, th- I think it's not hard to make sense of it. Maybe we could look at the Wicker Men and see if their features resemble... Nah, never mind. <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that a Kushorn Wicker Man? Nah, I don't think oh, so. Man. There's what, definitely a fatty in there. I'm looking at it what, right what, what is interesting, I think, is that Wicker Men were created uh, in the first place. And uh, I mean, I said so back when we first saw the Wicker Man, the first one, but it, it, it does add more depth to... like and, and Vovalba also you know, goes there, so we'll talk about her later, but... Uh, when we saw Flora and Shiruke, they were like, you know, the good witches, the forces of good, people who live in harmony with nature, who opposes bad things, who help people. So it's like, these guys are just great. And uh, mm-hmm. when we saw the wicked one, we were like, okay, so yeah, there was magic. There was magic that was not good at some point. People did things where it's, it's like, it's not quite apostle and, uh, you know, specters and stuff like that, but it's still not very good. It's like human sacrifice and using uh, human souls to power uh, weapons of war. So that's still interesting that these were produced, you know, in that num- kind of numbers. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the Wickermen still represent that potentially uh, much darker side of magic that uh, actually is a good transition into uh, the introduction of Bolda's teacher, uh, Volvaba. Literally like holding uh, a, like a salamander. <laughs> a newt or yeah. something, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, quite a character design going on here with this old, this old lady here. She seems really yeah. nice, though. Of course. I love yeah. her. I love that design. 
I love yeah. it too. She looks like a, a costume you would find at Spirit of Halloween or something <laughs> yeah. like that here in America. Mm-hmm. Like you would just go pick her costume off of a rack and be like, "Yeah, I'm cosplaying Volvaba," and everybody the, will believe you. She is like the platonic ideal of a witch. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, yeah, I thought that was. Int- I included this in the notes, but I thought it was interesting that now they're finally introducing like the stereotypical witch. When before you had Shirke and Flora, who were very much like not that version at all, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in exactly. Attitude, she strikes me though as more like a little old lady, like, and she's yeah. concerned, you know, like, you know, like, oh, you know, oh no, you know, like we've said, that's Flora's student. Ugh. <laughs> you know, that Molda's hanging out with the wrong kid. Yeah, this is gonna be trouble, and you know, and she also has that great uh, line of basically about Skull Knight and the you know the old men and you know their prophecies coming true. So there's something already, you know, in the in the offerings there about what's gonna what's gonna happen in the future. Yeah, without without uh, going straight into that, I do think so. She's like from how she's introduced as a master of curses. And somebody who uh, is able to use uh, death spirits, you know, magicians specialize in death spirits. Uh, she's clearly, like, she specialized, she's a guru, probably a great guru, you know, uh, someone who has her place with the old farts above, but who chooses <laughs> to stay by herself. And, yeah, it's interesting because she... Um, she's very, how to say, well-intentioned towards Molda. She scolds her for taking out a Wicca man. Uh, and, and she's, you know, like you can tell that Molda is not a very good disciple. Basically, she even says so herself, even thinks about uh, making a grow tail or something like that. But she's also, <laughs> like she looks with fondness at the fact Molda's finally found a friend. Yes. Yeah. So that, that's that's just great, I think. And it shows again, it shows another side of Molda where she plays a cool kid and all, but she's actually a loner and probably not an outcast. But yeah, she doesn't have really any friends. Kind of lonely. So. Yeah. And and the, uh, go ahead. The 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 controlling uh, souls aspect of it. You know, she also has these little cronies for her. You know, doing stuff for. Her. And if you look really closely at their faces, Azil, you pointed it out to me that. They resemble the faces on those men, the hanged men in Vertanus. Yeah, they still have that like kind of stripy uh, look on their faces. Um, so yeah, it looks like it's one of those, but it's been you know urged to service. do her bidding yeah. basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I also just wanted to point out that you know with the introduction of Volvaba as having this control over souls, and Hanar, who's specializing in you know making magical armors. They live pretty much next door, and those two together would be the perfect candidates to do what we think happened with Skull Knight, which is encase his soul in an armor. So I think it's no like mistake that these two were introduced back to back. I also have episode. another take on that. So here my right, take. Let's hear it. So like Griffiths mentioned earlier, she does worry that uh, one friend uh, Moldas made is uh, the disciple of Shiruk, uh, Flora. You know, she's like that Flora, that that girl, and of course the Skull Knight is there and everything. But what if what if Flora was actually the one who brought back uh, the Skull Knight yeah. soul, and and Volvaba, as a specialist of that, was like, "Damn, that's reckless! You shouldn't do that. That's not." Mm. And so she recognizes that what Flora did was dangerous, and that's part of why she finds that association, uh, you know, a bit, uh, you know, something worthy of being cautious or, uh, you know, worried about. So I don't know. It's just something I thought about. Is like, what if Flora, when she was young? She was the kind of uh, chick who just roll with it, you know. I'll do it. I don't care. Maybe she was the Molda of her time. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, the, the more 
the more I've rolled the idea around about what she says about Flora, to me, I, I think it's just that Shirke is a representative of Flora and also Skull Knight is here. And then she transitions into, you know, what the old, old men are talking about. Um, so yeah, I think she's basically lining things up. She's seeing that a version of Flora is here and the Skull Knight is here. And maybe what those old men said will come true. Yeah. Uh, to, to me, that's the spiral of causality happening. It's like, what else could those old men have been talking about? Like, to me, if it's anything, it's that they're alluding to something happening again, just as it happened a thousand years ago or whatever, however well, long ago. I don't know about the again part, but that, that, that line uh, is definitely one of the, if not the most interesting uh, lines in the episode to me, in that she does, like, the way she, she, she mentions it. Is referring to sleep and dreams. She she says basically these sleep talking old men or the sleep talk of these old men uh, will finally uh, become reality. And the way she says it is like uh, reality will finally become identical to a dream. So it's just you know it's I mean it's hard to describe in English, but the way she says it, uh, which I've discussed with Paula, is uh, it's interesting. You know, it's not just oh. Just, uh, you know, nonsense these old guys were talking about is, you know, finally becoming true. It's a bit like there's more, you know, meaning to it than that. So I'm just very curious about it. And indeed, it could just be, uh, well, things from the past will repeat. But I think it might also be something else. And I, I know I've, I've spoken in the trail about uh, prophecies, you know, but we still... We still don't know how the old prophecy about the Falcon of Darkness came to be. And uh, I feel like, I've felt like forever that Elfham would be the right place to learn about that. I still think it's the case. Well, any, so, yeah, I mean, any talk about kind of dreams t- becoming reality is very has very heavy connotations in Berserk. Yeah, exactly. That's I mean, my you're, you're kind of you're, you're you're sketching an outline of basically a form of prophecy, and we we've known as you've alluded to for years that there had to have been some kind of source for those things, and not just with the way Skull Knight knows things, but also as you say, the prophecy that was documented in the Holy See got a version of, just as Shirke got a version of. So yeah, prophecy will play a role, and it makes sense that we're getting another hint at what the nature of it is here. Um, but yeah, I don't know what it is either, but I agree. It's a very enigmatic line, and it's also kind of ominous in the way that she refers to it. Yeah. To me, anyways, it is. She's yeah, not, it means, she doesn't seem happy to see Skull Knighter, you know. Yeah, and, it, and she's, she's, yeah, she's concerned that her student is mixed up in someone, with someone who clearly is attracted to, uh, will ultimately become dangerous, a yeah. dangerous scenario. Let's just say associated with trouble. You know, yeah. When Skull Knight yeah. used to come around with his leather jacket and Flora would, you know, <laughs> would swoon and come running out, you know, squealing like, "Yeah, my she wrote off on here. his <laughs> come with, wrote off on his Skull Harley." Yep. <laughs> and w- when you think about it, um, the fact of Skull Knight, so we, we got the Skull Knight saying, "Don't relax yet." You know, Kozali has yeah. yet to converge. Then we got Ged who comes there and tells him, yeah, how about we go see Hannah right now? And, you know, you could say, oh, well, it's just, oh, it's delayed tension. It's just a narrative trick. What if it's also because Ged Flynn knows she's coming yeah, and she wants to, to get, get the important ready. stuff done. Like she knows, you know, walking on the armor is important because God won't be staying on the armor forever. So he's kind of getting them to hurry it up. And then we got uh, Volvaba who's like, uh, yeah, something's gonna come. Then it's gonna come true. So yeah, I think all you, you start putting all these things together, it's uh, it's very ominous. I would say. Yeah, I'm trying to think. You know what? I mean, this is random and not as heavy as these previous thoughtful points. But 
rarely have we gotten such direct comparison of Skull Knight and Guts like standing next to each other just for contrast to sort of see mm-hmm. the two of them together. He's fucking tall, right? Yeah, well, I'm trying <laughs> in the one shot where they're looking at them in the distance, they look almost the same height. And then when you see the next shot, I don't know if Skull Knight's standing, you know, further in front of Guts, possibly a little bit, but yeah, he looks huge. Which we, you know, you I figured re- he was tall, but I, I think I don't know if I talked about it on a podcast once, but I I, I did you know talk about this before. <laughs> Skull Knight seven there's, feet tall. <laughs> there's shots, yeah, he's fucking huge. There's shots where you see, uh, you know, when he, Gus rides on his horse behind him, and Gus is a full head smaller than him, and it's uh. like, man, this guy's this guy's really huge. And so I yeah, so kind of com- I bet Gazrick was like five seven, and then he told Hanar, "Hey, hey, man, when you make that armor, <laughs> yeah, boost it up a bit." When it, when he became a member of the God Hands, asked him what he wanted. He said, "I want to be tall. I want to be fucking tall. <laughs> I got the biggest calves. I want." <laughs> That's clearly what happened with Void, though, because look at Ged, you know, look <laughs> oh, at, uh, man, the yeah. quote unquote son. He said, it, "For sure, so I want yeah, his big son ass looks still like legs." Ubik or you know, Conrad yeah, together. Yeah. He he was a. Yeah, he was just so small and uh, with a small head. I said, I want to be big and have a big fucking brain, a big skull. <laughs> show mm-hmm. them who's the smartest of them all. I'm the biggest skull ever. <laughs> I'll show him. You guy's got a big brain. What could yeah. it mean? <laughs> a real big brain. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we take, we're taken to this uh, stone-looking tree thing. Stone uh, forest? Call it a stone forest. <laughs> pretty, okay. Because it's, it's a, it looks like a forest. Like, it's stone formations that looks like a forest. Pretty pretty simple. Right. And um, this is actually the second reference of uh, Barry Gutes in the episode. Hey, nicely pronounced. Oh, is, that, is that how you're supposed to say what? it? What? You mean the barites? <laughs> I'm going to open the, the floor to our resident uh, Baryutes expert here, a Professor uh, Zeal. has a lot to say. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's right. So, Nobody putting on airs with those barites now. My first thing is that I actually wonder if uh, I got the spelling right for that name because in Japanese, like the way it's pronounced is Baryutes, and I don't know, like there's a U somewhere in there. It's just so that's got me perplexed. But anyway, moving on. Yeah, I have two observations about Barutes from this episode. The first is that we knew from episode 346 that the Earth forest uh, has a low amount of Barutes, which means gravity is lesser there, like on the moon, so we could see Isidro and uh, Isma jumping around and everything. And Gethling explained it by saying the inhabitants of the forest do not have enough affinity with it. And in this episode, we... We learn that witches fly on brooms by sweeping Barutes away, essentially. So I found that choice interesting because there's technically uh, the wind element, self, you know, which Serpico uses to fly around. Uh, So this introduces a different method of uh, staying airborne for longer periods of time. And uh, as we saw there, you know, going very fast on a broom. And uh, so far, the only case we had of someone really flying, you know, sustainably was Daiba, but he does it without a broom and he levitates more than he flies. He doesn't move, you know, or anything He's like that. He's not sweeping so, sort of anything, at least Exactly, yeah. So I had assumed he was just using the wind element and it might still be the case. So I, I find that interesting, you know, that new uh, that new elements use, used for that implication, but that's not the only thing it's used for uh, because when Molda comments about the stone forest, she says she doesn't like the place. Uh, and she, she explains to Shirke that because uh, Barutes are more concentrated there, it's more tiring to fly. And so she walks and she actually explains that she 
almost never walks. She she doesn't like walking around, which is you know not good for exercise. She she should be exercising physically. Anyway, <laughs> um, you know. So back when you know, we got that first comment, I was thinking, eh, you know, maybe that could mean that uh, Barutes are you know part of the evil powers that Apostle the God Hand used. Maybe that would be an explanation for it, and that that could be the case. Still, we don't know. This episode does not address it. However, I think it provides an interesting way to differentiate between the elves above and the people below. Uh, so in this case, the dwarves. Uh, as you guys must know, in a Norse mythology, uh, there are light elves and dark elves, you know, and the dark elves are frequently compared with dwarves. Uh, they, they might even, you know, like you, you, when you look what uh, scholars say, it's probably the same beings. And so I think it's, uh, it's an interesting way to differentiate them to have these light elves flying around, you know, uh, in the upper part of the world, the forest, and the dwarves, which are like the dark elves who are below. And that's a way to make them different without uh, using evil power, because obviously they, like, they are not evil and they cannot be evil. But, you know, they are more gruff and uh, more gloomy because that's also something which Barutes is explained to, to do. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on it. It's uh, still a very mysterious element, and I still think Mura's got bigger plans for it. He wouldn't have introduced it just to explain how witches fly. So, yeah, that's it. Just a little little note there. It's it's not It wasn't arbitrary that we immediately assumed some kind of relation to evil power. It's, it's really because of the way Ged describes it. The properties he says are that it darkens the sky. It causes you know gloominess in the mind. All these really negative traits that would make sense that it would be a way for the God Hand to manipulate for their purposes. But uh, obviously, it's a broader thing than that because it's an, it's an elemental uh, thing. So yeah, it has a broader application. Um, yeah, and uh, one thing we should mention is that the like we've seen regularly, it's a thing in Berserk that when you know great evil power comes, the skies will darken and form like immediately from dark clouds with a spiral on them. So that includes uh, when the slug can't uh, sacrifice. You know uh, that that, that occurred. Obviously, during the eclipse, we got that huge tornado, which is a singer on its own. When the sea god uh, came out of the you know solitary island, when he broke out from his prison, the skies darkened immediately. And of course, when uh, Ganishka became Shiva, when he transformed, was reborn a second time, the skies also darkened immediately. So yeah, there's that common thread. And the fact that you know, uh, it j- just, I mean, it made sense to me at the time, it still does. It might just be a matter of how concentrated it is, you know, that might be it. So, anyway, something to keep an eye on. I had to go get my little girl. Sorry, she just woke up, so... Um, no problem. Yep, I'm back. We have an extra guest on the podcast. Yeah, for now. So, what should we move on? Yeah, so there's Hanar, right? So, we're in the cave now, and we see Hanar. Yep. And uh, what I found most interesting about this, not most, that's not true, Walter, that's just a lie. His opening <laughs> line to Ged is interesting to me. Yeah. He's basically saying, like, why is he here in this specific place where magicians don't normally come, where sorcerers doesn't normally come? And that made me think about the distribution of the different types of beach people on the island. There's not much crossover, which made me think a lot about the nature of the island. Like, how, how new is this arrangement? Yeah. And these, these neighborhoods or pockets of the island, if they don't cross over very much. So I don't know. It made me think about the nature of Skellig to begin with and the formation of Elfhelm. Like, was this always the capital of Elves? Was this always the, the case? Or did it have something to do with what happened with the world tree 
were they forced together into a tight concentration because of what happened to the physical world? I don't know. That is a uh, yeah. That is very interesting. I think so. Obviously, uh, elf elms or home of elves, which is what it means in uh, in kanji, uh, is related to Danan. Danan is the center of it, and she, like she, her tree uh, is what is elf elm. So much much like uh, Chich, you know, in the little flashback with guts, I think the tree and Danan are one and the same. If one dies, the other dies, um, and so yeah, I think elf elm is there because of Danan. So the question is, when did Danan come to be? When she, when was she born? Uh, is she, like, will she call the Skull Knight my boy? Or will she call him uh, king as a, you know, like a younger person would call an older person? In Japanese, it's like that. Like, just by the Skull Knight saying hello to Danan or vice versa, we will know who is the oldest of the two. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's a big question. Uh, I, I do think... To answer your question, I, I think uh, like dwarves are a subset of elves. Uh, I think uh, Hanar is a subject of Danan. Uh, I think she rules even over that part. Uh, it's just, like you said, the, I don't know, shady neighborhood or something like that. Not even really shady in the sense of uh, being dangerous, mm-hmm. but it's a place where, sick, where people like to go. People who, the loners like to go, you know, it's like the dwarves. Like a hot topic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where the goth goes. You know, I mean, the, the dwarves like to mine. They're, they're miners at heart. And so, yeah, they're in the mine. And I, I do agree. It's funny that he's like, why would a magician come here? Like, what do you want? What do you want? And then he sees Skullite. He's like, oh, my king, you're here. So that's, that's also pretty cool. It's like this gruff guy. He's basically about to tell Get to go fuck himself. And then he sees Skullite. He's like, sorry, my, sorry, sire. He doesn't quite put a, a knee on the ground, but at least he shows some more respect. Yeah, it also Skull Knight calls him his friend. That, that that's a really cool thing. It's that's something we've seen that often. Yeah, they're exchange, relating to other people. That exchange is pretty funny. I mean, we touched on it earlier, but the fact is like, so I see you're still among us. Uh, wow, well, that's thanks to my great work, you know. So he's boasting it's thanks to him, and the Skull Knight mm-hmm. is like, indeed, it is my friend, and he's just, hey, you know, you're just babbling in your coffin. <laughs> like, uh, you pretend to be it's pretty much just like when Guts was standing up to Zod, you know, all bleeding. He's like, yeah, yeah. And as soon as Zod turns around, he just falls down on the floor, half dead. You know, it's pretty much <laughs> the same situation. Yeah, and also just him, uh, the way Hanar addresses Guts, uh, very knowingly, just seeing the armor and already knowing quite a bit about what this guy has been through, if he's made it this far. I thought that was a really cool exchange as well. One thing we didn't talk about yet was... Um, you know, Hanar is the blacksmith that forged the Skull Knight's armor and Berserk, the Berserk armor. And so he has a lot of knowledge about magical weaponry. Um, but one piece of magical weaponry that, you know, is special to the series is the Dragon Slayer. And so I, I'm really curious to see what his take on that is. Like something that was forged by a human and yet is so magnificent. Um, I'm curious what he'll say about that. Well, it's got to be like, you know, what a piece of crap. (laughs) It's just a a piece of iron. (laughs) I do think think beyond the magical aspect, the fact like just the size of it, the way it was forged, uh, it's going to be interesting to see him react to that. And I I do think he'll show, like he doesn't strike me as a character that's very uh, a bit or 
very nice. So yeah. I think he's going to show a grudging respect, uh, you know, a kind of, eh, not bad for a human. Um, <laughs> and I do think, so there's two aspects. There's, yeah, the fact he then acquired uh, through the huge uh, guts made of it, uh, astral properties. You know, he sliced so many ghosts and apostles and monsters that he ended up having that kind of being imbued by that evil power. So I think he's going to comment on that. On the craftsmanship of it, uh, craftsmanship of it, it might even say, "What is it here?" And I actually really look forward to that. Gut saying he's called the Dragon Slayer because he's never said the name, so that mm. would be fucking ah. cool, man. Oh yeah, and are be being cool. like, yeah, "Has it actually killed the dragon yet?" <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I, I, cra- so- I cracked his skin. <laughs> it made him pretty <laughs> upset. <laughs> then it's the. Also- uh, it's an yeah, opportunity for um, you know Hanar to comment on Godo's work, and, and in a way, kind of like validate Godo's work, connecting the two a little bit. Well, more. what's funny is that yeah. Godo did it as a joke, so it'd be funny if it's like you know it's not as bad. Like Godo did, you know, he thought it was like ridiculous because it's unwieldy. You know, no one can use this. So in his own mind, you know, it wasn't like his best work. It was that sword that broke in half, you know, halfway through the fight. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> Traditional sword. Yeah, but, whereas, you know. you know, the thing he made that's just like a goof, basically, that almost got it. You know, he, like, I think he almost, he said he almost lost his head over it, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that turns out to be like, you know, through its simplicity, you know, the idea of it, you know, this great creation. Yeah, I wonder if he will say, well, that can hardly even be called a sword or something yeah, like that. Yeah. It would be it would be funny if he just recited basically the ode to the dragon slayer, the you know, like it's taller than a man, just a slab <laughs> of iron. You can hardly call it a sword. <laughs> Too rough to be called a sword. It yeah. was him narrating it the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is like if they were ever gonna say anything special about the dragon slayer other than its size and its like singular purpose. This is the moment. And so, yeah, it's a matter yeah. of if he'll go there the or not. The special dwarf ore that it's made That's out right. of? That's right. Special dwarf ore is a possibility. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, here's the question. Like, it's if they go not that route, just a slab of iron, folks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's the thing. It, they could diminish what's cool about the Dragon Slayer if he goes that way, which is why I don't think it'll be... Yeah. We got to have plausible deniability. We do think... We think it's cooler that it's made of uh, dwarf ore. The, the way it's described, I think, from the beginning is that it's not it's not magical. So I, I don't think it will be like, oh, well, it's magic ore, and that made it more, uh, you know, have more damage. I do think, however, it could be something as simple as, well, you know, it, it's done with quality ore, and that's why... Like, yeah, or it's super strong, and that's why it hasn't broken. Yeah, I mean, the dwarves, if the dwarves chose that mine, it must have been a fucking good mine, because they're good miners. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, they did. This, they, did they curated the selection for Godot. And yeah. so what's interesting is that Godot, because he was, you know, a great blacksmith, he recognized it was a good mine, because he had a good eye for it. But yeah. why and would Hunter, he use his best ore, though, for... Well, not best ore, but... We, he would have used like the worst iron he had for his joke sword. The, the way he says it is not it's not a joke sword. He says that he took the request literally. Right. You know, the king said, he uh, I want he a sword. He would have made the best version of that possible. That would have been part of the fuck you. <laughs> so king was like, I want a sword that can kill a dragon. And he might just, you know, have a big giant ass diamond on it or something. And go was like, okay, I'm going to make a a tool that could actually be used to kill a dragon, right. a giant beast. And so I made a giant sword. And of course, no one can use it. And I was like, yeah, you know, well, go fuck yourself. Well, 
Nobody except for Supreme King Alger. Oh no, come on. Oh, Oh, come on. The ultimate. (laughs) No one's going to understand that. (laughs) It's a deep cut. There is one more thing is that um, is uh, Hanar going to be able to uh, improve on the Dragon Slayer? So, I mean, I think it's a given he's going to reforge it, to refresh it, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, like Godo did in, uh, in uh, Volume 17, but could he make it better? And um, I'm going to say I hesitate between no and maybe a little bit. Uh, I'll explain what add, I mean. you know, some gaudy oh. looking like bat wings, you know? <laughs> no, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's gonna oh, put... Like on the volume cover. Okay, I, made, I, made, yeah. I made these fins on the sides for you got some yeah. racing stripes. <laughs> I had it yeah. on. Oh. I think uh, it would be so cool if, if the opposite Dragon Slayer. If the, if the opposite happened, if he saw it and said, it's it's perfect as it is, I, well, I can brush would, off some of your dirt and rust. If it but. was even like, well, actually, if you mess with it too much, you'll get rid of the special properties and you know you, mm. would, you don't want to do that. You've already made it as good as it can be. Yeah, I, I think it might be a case of, well, even Guts saying, I don't want it to be, like, don't change it. I also yeah. think he could, like, by reforging it with, you know, his, you know, special dwarven ways, uh, he might, There's- you know, like, concentrate the, you know, the evil powers that was imbued on it in a way that, Without, you know, being like, oh, I put some runes and I put There's- like, like you said, some little wings and stuff like that, but just, like maybe sharpen uh, the astral damage oh, does. There's, a, yeah, there's also know. a unique opportunity here that probably won't ever present itself again, which, you know, this gets into some heavy speculation, but if they do, let's say the Dragon Slayer is in bad shape, it's heavily damaged, like when Godot looked at it the last time, you, know, you can see all the cracks in it, and Guts got into some sort of fight on the island, either an external attack or just, you know, some sort of sea god-like monster that's rising up and causing trouble... This would be the only opportunity, really, other than like the end game, for the Dragon Slayer to like be broken in the ultimate shocker moment, because Hanar could fix it. Speaking of false cliffhangers, yeah, it'd be be cheesy, but at the same time, you know, if he's gonna, if he was gonna improve on it in any way, you could also take the moment to be like, you know, if Mira just wanted us to shit our pants, you know, I'm gonna have to veto that idea. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think. I mean, honestly, if the Dragon Slayer breaks, it's just like you know, it breaks your heart. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, it's so symbolic. Uh, that I don't think Griffith just you know he looks at it and it breaks into a thousand pieces. Oh yeah, that would that'd really hurt you. <laughs> What's clear is that I think this is the only uh, opportunity left in the series where the Dragon Slayer could get some work done on it. Right. I don't think, for example, you know, uh, when Guts uh, eventually meet up with Rickert again, I think Rickert could look at his, uh, you know, uh, artificial arm, at his crossbow, at his all the stuff. Maybe give him give him some new bombs and stuff like that. There would be something fitting if Rickert was the last one to work on it before, like the final battle. It would, but I mean, you got like the mythical, legendary, super blacksmith dwarf, and you got Rickard, who sure studied a bit under Goro, but he's more <laughs> of a tinkerer than a blacksmith. Oh! So I'm gonna, I'm sorry to Rickard. I mean, I don't wanna get slapped, but about yeah, I just, I'm gonna give it to Hanar over Rickard on, on this one. Well, okay. I mean, I'm just saying, Hanar could, you know, do the astral part, but maybe Rickard just, you know, touches up the edges a little bit. <laughs> Um, but, you know, Ged puts Hanar up to it to basically explain to, to Guts, you know, what it's like to, to wear the armor. Because 
you know, we've known this for a while, but think about the brevity that he's actually had this. He didn't get a manual or a tutorial on this thing. He just was shoved into this armor because it was a life or death moment out there, the fight of the mansion. I have you know, to interrupt when, you and ask you, hmm? do you really think Guts is the kind of man to read a manual? No, certainly not. But maybe on the ship ride. I know how to use things half-assed and getting used to using it wrong and half-assed. And I feel like that's what's going on here. And Hanar is going to set him straight. <laughs> oh. <laughs> basically gonna be like yeah you're 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 totally misusing my stuff man so this whole scene to me i couldn't get out of my head the idea of someone with like a really expensive car coming to the car shop and then in the repairman saying like you've been driving this in first the whole time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly because he interacts with him like a, a mechanic might with the piece of armor and you know, Guts, the nature of the conversation is that Guts is saying, yeah, I've been wearing this armor and it's been great. And then Hanar's like, oh, really? Well, you know, it's a kind of a dangerous thing. Then he strikes him, which is, I just want to jump right to that because it, let's talk about what's happening here at the end. What happened to Guts? How is he getting hit by some guy who's like two feet tall? Come on, man. It's a, no. suck, it's a sucker punch. It's a sucker punch. Not only punch. does he get, let himself get hit, first of all, come on, this guy's crazy. He he tells him too. He like puts the hammer in his hands. You know, he's like, "Let's hey, take my best shot here." <laughs> like the the armor immediately activates, and I say all this with a dumb voice, like, "How could it let that happen?" <laughs> Clearly, there's more going on here than it meets the eye about what's why the armor suddenly activates for over a single hit. Hanar is in control of the situation here, in in his in his element. I, I do think uh, what uh, happens before is interesting. So the fact he tells him, well, you're the owner of the armor now. You can use it uh, as much as you want. But basically, like, he tries to devour its uh, owner and it's, and it's possessed, you know. So it's, uh, it's something, you know, that's very dangerous. And he basically is like, okay, let's, let's see. Let's see how far, uh, you, you know, how far in you are, you know, basically like mm-hmm. how... How deep you are? Yeah. How I think it's not. It's not uh, how experienced you are, but how far gone you are, basically. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. I, I've like I, that's what it looks like to me. It's like huh. he knows, like the previous guy who wore the armor died, and you know, presumably he wasn't a, a clown uh, because yeah. he was Geyseric. So, and, you know, Hanar was his friend or at least someone he knew well. So, you know, the fact Gus has been able to survive so long, of course, it's only because of Shiruke and it's only because Flora engraved the protective spell on it. Because without that, like the first time Gus used it, he would have already been gone, if you remember, in volume 26. So all these things contribute to the fact he's still alive. And he's, you know, he's still you know we, we've seen that the armor's latent effects the fact the odd you know like uh, Jose wears you down uh, I've eroded his senses pretty strongly he, he can't feel taste well anymore he's had this problem with his vision um, so yeah I, I think all of this contributes to then uh, Hanar being like alright let's let's see and he just mm-hmm. hits the armor so I, I don't think he's more I don't think he moves with super human strength or anything I think he just took Gus by surprise oh yeah he just and, straight uh, up like I mean, like you said, he's like telegraphing it, but Guts is just totally like, what? <laughs> What's going <Yeah>. on here? <laughs> what, what obviously surprises him is the way, I think, the way the armor activates like real, yeah. like immediately. And the question then becomes, is it something special uh, Hunter did? Or is it just that Gus actually is at a point where a provocation of this magnitude will suffice to get the armor to move on? 
Yeah, the way you you reframed it in my mind by saying how far along he is with basically the relation between mm-hmm. you know the inner workings of the armor and guts. Like imagine I'm imagining there's the interval of time between provocation and you know transformation that might have been like getting smaller and smaller over time. Yeah, and now it's just ready to swallow him whole. And Hanar just proved that that interval was now a fraction of a second. Basically, it, yeah, exactly. Well, like, it's what interesting. I you, you know, it's a good point because when he first put it on, it's not like he transformed immediately. Like he put it on yeah. and he felt different, yeah. and you know he still it still had the skull mask, you know, when he was first using it and everything, and it, it took a while for it to actually take hold of him. Real quick, the Makara in particular, you know, he consciously gives into it at that point. He knows he needs this, so he's giving into it. He's, he feels yeah. the sensation, and he says he's basically just stops fighting it and lets it take him over. Yeah. Here, there's no negotiation. Yeah. This happens. And it's, What's interesting with the Makara is that he. So as he fights it, he feels he feels you know it's trying to take over and he resists it, and that's even why he gets it. Um, like he's you know he's feeling it's trying to take over, and he's like he stays still for uh, just a second, you know, trying to prevent it from taking over, and that's when he gets slapped. And at that point, because he's paralyzed, he he gives in. He willingly stops resisting, and the armor takes over. And uh, if you look at uh, the solitary island. He doesn't really get hit, but it's the same situation. He sees that he's not going to be able to, uh, you know, defeat all these slugs, these giant monstrous slugs by, without the armor, and he gives it to it. And in this case, he gets hit. It's not a fatal hit or anything, presumably pretty strong because we can see sparks flying, but that's enough to activate it. So I think, yeah, it, it's a good show that uh, the interval gets smaller and smaller and like the the art of the armor is about to able to overwhelm him uh, more easily. And I think that's also reflected by the fact that on the island, when Shuke tried to fly in uh, with a body of light uh, on the armor from the other side, she was rejected. And she says the art has gotten stronger. So, oh, that's right. So I, I always forget about that yeah, stuff. At the, that time, the 36 or 37. Exactly. At that time, it was the full moon. So, you know, we, we were like, yeah, you know, it might have been because of the power of the moon, but mm. presumably not. Presumably it's because the armor of the, the art of the armor is becoming so strong like that. You know, it's, it's like the Skull Knight, um, how he describes it. He said, even... If it's just embers, it's like a never-burning flame that never goes out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think now the fire has you know gotten real big. There's no, there's hardly any guts left. It's only armor (laughs) owed in there. (laughs) Oh wow! But Um, it's interesting because it's like it is like we pointed out. I think the reason uh, he was able to get the hit in is just because like you know there's no intent to hurt guts. There's no like bloodlust in this. He just you know he's hitting him. Basically with a hammer. And I mean, originally when I interpreted it, I was looking at it like, you know, well, that's the special hammer that crafted it. He's doing something special to activate it. That's still potentially true. But yeah, that's a great uh, point that Az makes. I was really convinced of that for a good like five minutes. And then me and Azia went back and forth. And I I concluded myself, well, wait a minute. If he has a special hammer that 100% will make the armor activate, what is he even proving if that's the case? How much, if it is the other way around, and I mean, that's still possible, like, that Guts could have some sort of better control or mastery of the armor, then, you know, the, yeah, the hammer can activate it, but if Guts is in control, he could stop it, or it wouldn't activate. Mm. That would be the, the theoretical. But yeah, this makes more sense where it's more like, well, no, the armor, it's where it's like, it's hopeless to try to control it. It's just how powerful is the armor over you now? How much are your odes fused almost? 
like where it can yeah. just you know it basically it can just you know seize control like you're you're one you know just instantly one to one like you you transform yeah i i don't know greg do you want to say something you know i i honestly am not sure what's going on here i the way that i likened it <laughs> I was agree. to yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, You're it's hard more to humble say. than us. <laughs> I, I, I would just say that when I first saw this scene, it reminded me of the days you'd go to the doctor and the doctor had a little <laughs> reflex. He would bop you on the knee and you'd like kick out. That's exactly what it looked like right. to me. Like he was that is a, him. That is a super, honestly, it's a you know, really perfect analogy. Yeah. I think it really fits <laughs> the situation. He something, you know, like that, basically, like a reflex test. Yeah. So honestly, I think that's really a perfect analogy. That's exactly what's going on here. Well, thank you. I, I guess it just made me think of it that because he was hitting him, maybe not necessarily with the with the perfect tool or with the his own energy coming into into it, but maybe he was just hitting a spot that only he knew <laughs> that somehow triggered a reflex reaction. That's a bad place for that spot, right in the front, right in yeah. the belly button. Yeah. Anyway- <laughs> Uh, anyway, I think the like the deeper conversation with this is uh, the implication is uh, how is uh, is Hannah going to be able to like make it? Because a lot of people say so. Is he going to be able to tr- to, to tinker with the armor and make it easier to control? Gus won't need Shuriken anymore. Power. <laughs> He'll stay conscious. And like my answer is no, because well, like from the beginning we've known that what made what gives the armor its power is also what makes it cursed. It's the fact that art removes your fear, removes your pain, but it also removes your consciousness, like your, your well, conscious mind. And Shirke already provides the mitigation, at least on the use of the armor. It's not now. It's Which still, Hanar is probably going to see in just a moment. Yeah, it's still going to burn up guts the same way, but he's not going to lose control with her. You know, so he's already pro- she already provides that aspect to it, and I don't think I think he's more going to just serve a warning. And there's great potential for shit talk where he goes to Skull Knight. Maybe I should make another case of soul armor, huh? <laughs> you know, like something like that. But uh. that's also the fact that if <laughs> if he could have made the armor less dangerous, uh, presumably he would have done it when Geyseric was wearing it, so that Geyseric didn't die wearing it. And, you know, I mean that's. And I also think even if he offered, like it would be like it would be kind of a moment where it's like, well, I could maybe, you know, I don't know how this would work. It seems kind of silly. Like, oh, I could dial it back on the the power of the ode and the armor. Guts, I think, would have to turn it down because he would know that, like, well, I've barely been able to get by, you know, strength-wise with it as it is. So, you know, if anything, he might right. be like, hey, you know, I could probably, I could take a little more pain to my soul and my body, <laughs> you know, if you could make it more I, powerful. Yeah, I think that would be his exact reaction. Like you said, he can't afford to lose. And if that means giving up parts of his soul, I think he'd be willing to take that gamble. Yeah, well, I, I'm not sure it's really like his soul, but there's also the fact that I do think eventually it will come down to Gus having to face his own dark side and the like, the beast of darkness, there's and that's that more too. So like, and Hanar yeah, might be able to provide insight to that that the others wouldn't, because he might be able to know. Well, the way this armor is working, it's not just the armor that's you know causing this. Yeah, it's you. It's you. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that's. Uh, like a psychological thing that he's going to have to work on with uh, with Casca as a key player. So I don't think that... What I think... Okay, so go ahead, Walter. I was just going to say I'm really anxious for the next 
several pages here. Not only, I think it'll get resolved shortly. I don't think this is like, a, oh, I turned it up too high. Sorry, guys. Guts and Skull Knight. <laughs> it's going to be like a three-episode fight. I'm curious about the Hanar explaining the purpose of his demonstration here and what that will mean for Guts in the future. Yeah. Like, what's yeah. the... How does that translate to guts for the future? Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things I think which is doable is uh, we know Flora inscribed a, a talisman there, and that's what has prevented guts from being consumed by the armor so far. She also said at the time that both that and the necklace she made for Casca would not last forever, that they would be enough for the journey, but you know they would not last forever. So I think uh, when Gus removes the armor and when uh, Hanar inspects it with Ged nearby, he might, they might actually see that the talisman is almost r- run out his course, you know. Yeah. And they might uh, start walking and the fact Hanar is there and as, as a one who made the armor uh, might be able to make it some more sturdy, sturdier, you know, and provide a way where I think there's a way it's going to be lessening the damage or easing things up, but without removing the danger because that's where we like find the, out he's like a car purist that's like oh no i won't put an inscription on my car that's gonna dampen you know the power man <laughs> that's gonna lower the cc's no way the thing is uh i mean the fact the armor is dangerous is what makes it cool you know it's not just a power up you know people are like oh a power up a power up it's not a power up sure it makes guts you know stronger but he also takes more damage and it, it damages him just where it and that's why it's cool because it's not not just a super armor that gives him plus 10 strength it's something that that's cursed and you know, there's a counterpoint to it. So I don't think that's ever going to go away. Yeah. And I don't think the... I mean, the title of the manga is Berserk. And, you know, being Berserk means fighting and losing one's mind. So, and the Berserk's armor is not going to become the, you know, sensible armor where you <laughs> wear it and, uh, <laughs> you know... The sensible armor. The reasonable armor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The technician armor. You start saying, ah, maybe I could do this. The armor hmm. of the practical. We're just going to use <laughs> <Yeah>. it enough. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to take too many risks here. I'm just going to stand back. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't think that's going to change. But, yeah. like yeah, Moderate berserkness. <laughs> the, the next few pages are, are going to be great. And, of course, let's not forget that Mira is a master of cliffhangers. And that's why it ends on this panel specifically. Well, he always, yeah, he manages to make a cliffhanger every 20 pages, even if it's a completely false cliffhanger that's going to be recontextualized by the next episode's Ex- first page. Exactly. So it's it's going to be... Transition. Hanar is just going to be saying, yeah, you see, it's dangerous, like I said. <laughs> and this guy will say, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> and then Shiruki will say, I told you so too. <laughs> wow. I think you guys hit it, though. Like For me, the one idea with her today that resonates with me is the fact that Guts is by default unstable because of all of his travels, and the armor just exacerbates that. It just draws that right out and, and utilizes it as fuel for the, the power of it. So maybe Hanar's just going to point out, you're kind of fucked up, man, and I don't think it's a good combo here. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with my armor. It's you. Yeah. But no, but it's yeah. it's perfect too in the sense that like guts, you know, the practical solution is also the one that's the solution for his character to grow. So it's like it kind of yeah. perfectly makes sense that like for this to get better, rather than it being like, you know, a lame power up or to take away the consequences, he can get better just by himself getting naturally better. I also think there's going to be a part a part where. Uh, Hanar reiterates the fact it's very dangerous and Gus is going to suffer greatly for it. And Gus will just say, 
well, you know, that's my concern. And he'll ignore it. But because Shiruke is at the back, she'll know. And while he won't say anything to the others, uh, she'll eventually spill the beans on that. And the fact he's been basically like, he's... He's exactly the kind of guy who'll say, eh, you know, even if I die, well, what's, you know, it's worth it if I can protect my, my friends. Yeah. And, uh, and that sets up Shuriki as the one who's like, no, I won't let it happen. And maybe, you know, roping Casca and the others to try and, you know, stop him from doing something stupid. Well, like, it was Skull Knight that had to call him out in the first place and basically point out his symptoms that he was hiding, you know, that he wasn't telling people yeah. about. Exactly. And if you remember when Flora, uh, starts engraving the armor. The Skullite is like, are you sure you want to do this? So, like, from the beginning, of co- I mean, obviously, he died in the armor, so he knows he's dangerous. I mean, he, he suffered the consequences. So he was not super excited about this, and that's why he's also one guts. So, uh, again, it's something I find interesting. Maybe Volvaba was right. Flora's just a Flora, crazy bitch, man. Secret, secret <laughs> bad guy? I was thinking, like, yeah, maybe she I is, mean, like, the reason Volvaba's like, oh, uh, Flora, that, she gets uh, everyone killed. <laughs> I really had a little fact fiction in my head for a while of Flora's a badass bitch at school, academy, at, you know, Wish Academy, and where she's, like, lighting cigarettes by snapping her fingers and, you know, <laughs> shoving the others in the lockers. I, I think just, it's really turning out to be true. Yeah, I, I want to see her as a diamond. You know, like in the in the corridor of dreams, she showed up and you know burns those apostles away. That was pretty cool. But I want to see it like I want to see Shuriki calling on her, and she just I don't know she just burns everything. <laughs> Only she's a true power. A I real man should cool. burn his own to death, you know. And Skullnight's just like, yeesh! <laughs> Did I hook up with the wrong girl? <laughs> I think we've been abandoned again, but so let's see. Oh, no. Where can we go from here? Just, well, I mean, we're pretty much at the end. Do you guys, uh, Grail, yeah. do you have any other observations or as? I mean, I, I honestly, I really like this episode, but oh, yeah. I, I only have so much that I can surmise visually from it because the the we have the summary that Puella provided and a little bit of the translation, but other than that, I don't have a whole lot of information as far as the dialogue goes. So. Right. Well, I think we, we covered it like we broadly covered everything. Uh, honestly, I, I will say to conclude that I think this is one of the densest episodes, you know, in a long time that I can remember. Like, obviously, Berserk is set up in such a way that there's never any filler, you know. It's always always something's happening. Everything has a reason to be. There's no pointless uh, stuff. Well, you know, even when there's like battles, it's because it's cool. When you see vistas, it's because they're beautiful. And I think, uh, yeah, I think I think this one is especially dense. And honestly, like we said at the beginning, uh, it feels a lot like a lot of it sets up uh, subtext for like what's coming later on. So that when we get a flashback, for example, of uh, what happened a thousand years ago, we can see, for example, Vid coming in and he looks a bit like Ged and we immediately get it. And, uh, you know, yeah, I feel like, like seeing this episode and seeing all these references to a thousand years ago, seeing uh, the Skull Knight talk about Vid, it made me like 100% sure we're going to get a flashback. You know, that's so like no doubt in my mind is coming. And so, yeah, I, I think it's a really, really great one. Yeah. I also, I mean, just to sort of make some random observations and fun points, odds and ends, 
I love the, I think my favorite illustration of Ged is maybe the one where he's looking over Guts and Guts is looking down at him with sort of this, mm-hmm. <laughs> this face, like almost like a child, like, what, why are you staring at me? And Ged's looking at him like, ugh, <laughs> you know, this poor sap wearing his <laughs> death armor. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah. Yeah. Those two had a moment. One thing we, we didn't mention is the size of the island, I think. Uh, it's something uh, I've been curious about uh, recently. And by recently, I mean the last hour before the, we started the podcast. Um, I thought you meant like the last 10 years by recently. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I've been living on Skellig myself. It's just time flies so fast. <laughs> you you so, we do no, get a great shot of it when they're on the broom, sort of at least at least some edges of it. Yeah, we see some part of it. At the same time, like the side guts wasn't presumably is not there because it's uh, kind of like some cliffs. Uh, and um, we do see another great shot. The last time was just before they got to the, the witch village where there was a little bridge and we see like that huge shot of the the tree in the distance, the forest and the, the village in uh, you know, uh, down in the village. You know, that shot is remarkable to me because the village is really does not look good and I feel like that's a really missed opportunity. Anyway, mm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. So I've been wondering, like, how big is it? Is it like a thousand square kilometers in, in a surface? Maybe five, five hundred? Hard to say. And uh, that's related to the fact uh, Molda calls it a, a country or a state, you know, something like that. So I was just, yeah, just You're curious. Giving me like horrible flashbacks to when uh, the basically when Fantasia began and they showed like the white, you know, <clears throat> yeah. like wall going over the whole world and like I took like that <laughs> the world. And tried to twist it in Photoshop into like a flat map <laughs> that, like, yeah. you know, basically would correspond with, you know, kind of like Europe, you know. I mean, it was just, uh, yeah, basically the sort of ridiculous topography we attempt to do. Yeah, the problem <laughs> is that like uh, projections of maps like that are so complex because, like, the most common one, uh, Mercator's, is done so that the coastal lines stay the same, you know, for sailing. And but there's other types like it's not it doesn't like land mass is not faithful to what it actually is like, so we would actually need uh, maybe a real shot of the Earth from space to know. It's, it's, that's probably what Mura used. I mean, I don't know for what I know. So yeah, it's probably useless to try and do stuff like that. But I was curious because it's also a thing we saw the big forest and of course Danan's giant trees that towers over the island. But uh, and in this episode, we saw the gorge. But the question is, like, what else is there on this island? Is there, like, are there some other parts, some other territories? Like, and we don't really know. Well, and it's, yeah, it's just a question of, is this an island that's, you know, 10 miles across or 100 or more? You know, like, I'm getting a feeling it's, you know, it's more like 100 yeah, hundred sounds about right, yeah. but it's it's hard to say. It's uh, yeah, yeah. How yeah. long would it take you to walk around it? <laughs> Could you do it in a day? Probably not. Yeah, I'm guessing not. All right, I think guys, we've exhausted all. You know, well, you know some topics. of the faces of the Wicker Men. Uh, I think it's <laughs> fascinating. Uh, yeah, I think we've uh, we've pretty much covered everything interesting, at least. For sure. Yeah. All, All right. there's left is to look forward to the next one. All right, so see you guys next time. Bye. Bye-bye.
The Skullcast is a production of Skullknight.net, a Berserk fan community. If you like what you heard, please visit patreon.com sknet. Donations there do not go towards the podcast, but instead toward our resident translator, Puela, who ensures that our members have access to high-quality, text-based translations of Berserk. Puela has also been translating interviews with Berserk's creator, Kentaro Miura. Many of these interviews have never been translated into English, so it's very exciting to read those. That kind of work simply wouldn't have happened without support from our donors. If you'd like to chip in a buck or two, please know that it all helps. Once again, that's patreon.com sknet. If you have a question or want to comment on the podcast, visit our forum, skullnet.net forum. Near the top, you'll see a section devoted to the podcast. There's always an active thread in there, so go ahead, leave a post, and someone's sure to respond quickly. Thanks for listening.